pulpit gives you a little bit more than most uh, bit of scope here to wander, but it's still not probably big enough for me, but I'll get out of your road. Um, so as Jeff said, I have the privilege, I've got, I've got to keep an eye on the time because I like to be diligent with the time and, and honour the time given. Is that, is that clock right up there? What's happened to it? Oh, it is 10.30. It looked like the big hand was on the 10 and the little hand was on the 6. I'm, I'm thinking, it's August? Oh, true. What year is it? Um, <laughs> it's BC, I know that. No, it's not. It's AC, after COVID. <laughs> COVID sort of put a wall between a lot of things. and I don't want to bring it up in a negative light, but it's, I know with what we've been doing, because we, I only took on this role six years ago and started to get a bit of momentum and then COVID hit two years in and just put this huge wall and everything stopped, as you know, and, you know, because I do a lot of travel. I travel around uh, the country speaking at many different places and churches and groups and, and things and we get to go, you, normally I get to go to Israel twice a year. We go in May and then we take a tour in October. And of course all that stopped. And then now it's starting back up again. It, it, it's, it's almost like, it, you know, it's divided life into that side and this side. And uh, it's for many ministries, and I talk to a lot of ministries around the place, it's, it's almost like we, everything had to start up again. You know, even though it didn't, it, it didn't stop as such, because of the restrictions and because of the way things happened, it's, it's, it's like this is all brand new and let's get some traction again. But there's a good thing in that because God is stirring in the hearts of his people. God is stirring us up to say, well, where do we sit? Where are our, where's our passion? What God's saying to us as, a, as his people, what do you want? Where do you want to go? Where's your heart and where's your passion? Because it's easy just to sit on the sidelines and watch things go by. We live in a world that is, is driven by spectator-orientated life, don't we? Yeah? Everything that is, is in the modern world is, is driven by spectators, what, a multitude of spectators watching a few participators. Yeah? And that's not the way the church is designed. God never designed his church to be a few, a few participators and multiple spectators. It's the other way around. We're all supposed to be participators. We're all called. We're all chosen. We all have an unction of the Holy Ghost to share with others. Amen? Turn to the person next to you and say, I think he's talking to you. Okay? Okay? And in preparation, and I, and I want to say this before I, I really get started, is I never take it lightly to share on behalf of the Lord, share the, the word of the Lord. It's an honour, it's a privilege, and it's something I, that I deeply treasure, and I am deeply honoured to be given the privilege. But in preparation, I felt, and this is, I've got two words, and they're very similar, and you'll know who it's for, and I'd love to pray with you at the end of the, the meeting, but... The, and the, the word, one word is, what are you waiting for? That's for someone here this morning. What are you waiting for? And the other one is, what's stopping you? There's two people here, and that, there's two separate people. Now, I know they're similar, but you'll know who that's for. What's stopping you? God is, I believe God's asking you to step out into something, but there's, you feel like there's something stopping you. There's something holding you back. And there's always doubts, there's always negativity, but God is saying, what's stopping you? I'll just let you sit on that and I'll pray. I'd love to pray with you after the meeting. But anyway, as Jeff said, I, I have the privilege of being the National Director for Bridges for Peace. If we could put that first PowerPoint up, please. I've got a few slides I'm going to flick through. And then uh, I've got a message on my heart that the Lord wants to share. Who's been to Israel, first and foremost? Not many. Wow. Who'd like to go to Israel? Uh, a few more in that boat. Not everybody. Okay, that's okay. How are we going there, Jules? We're going to... Okay, good. No, you're good. It's wonderful. Is this water here for me, Jeff? It does? It's only been there six weeks. Okay, so you'll see here, Bridges for Peace is... is uh, it's, it's a Christian ministry and, and God's called us to support Israel... 
and build relationships between Christians and Jews in Israel and around the world. We have offices in eight nations around the world, Australia being one of them. We raise corporately among those eight nations around $11 million every year and we do acts of charity, acts of kindness, demonstrating the love of God to the Jewish people, primarily to the Jews. We don't exclude others that come to help. Yes, we help the odd Arab group and Christians, but our calling is primarily to the Jewish people on the ground in Israel. But within, within our role and within our function in the individual nations, we support the Jewish people on the ground in our own lands. Okay, so it's about building relationships. It's about building a bridge, uh, as our name suggests. So we've been in Israel for over 50 years, as you see up here. Our head office is in Jerusalem. And as I said, we have offices in eight nations. They're the nations listed there. And we feed between 23 and 25,000 people every month. Tons and tons of food, which we purchase in Israel. So to to bless the economy. We don't import the food from other nations and take it there. The money goes to Israel and it's purchased on the ground there to be a double blessing. So we're not only giving them the food, but we're giving them their food. And why wouldn't you? The food in Israel is magnificent. You know, in all honesty, it's worth going to Israel just for the food. Isn't that right, Jeff? It is amazing. It is amazing. The one of the, and it, 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 I've been there six times, but it only dawned on me this time that one of the great re- blessings and one of the many reasons why the food is so good, like the fresh produce, everything just tastes better. And it's, I realise it's because mo- very little of it is cold stored because the, Israel is such a small nation, it doesn't have to go far. And whereas here, everything's been in cold storage for months before we get to eat it. So it's got to be picked green, it's got to be, you know, force ripened and all these crazy other things that they do to us. But in Israel, not a lot of that happens. Plus, it's blessed of God, of course. So there's that. That's even better. So, um, and and just just this year, we we um, hit a milestone of helping over 100,000 Jews return to Israel, make Aliyah, as it's called, return, uh, and make their life uh, afresh in Israel. Um, and through 2022. Uh, through our special appeal to help the uh, largely the Jews, but there were many other people we helped as well, but we raised an extra $2 million, that's US, um, to help those that were impacted by the Ukrainian and Russian conflict. So that was a, a special blessing uh, through 2022. And that continues today, but it's obviously, you know, grinding on and we continue to help but there were special projects that we raised money for like um, armoured buses to get them out and all sorts of things like that. It was, there was bedlam at the airport trying to get people, you know, people just flocking to the airport but a lot of them couldn't get there because the transport was very dangerous so we were able to help but we worked through agencies who were on the ground um, not trying to reinvent the wheel as they say. I just want to share this scripture because this is a scripture that literally impacted my life profoundly when God revolutionized my life. And I need to give you a little bit of background from our lives and from my life. Um, I was a pastor, as Jeff said, in, for 13 years in COC, mind you. Um, first of all, we're assistant pastors in Maryborough and then in Queenbian and Canberra for 13 years. Loved God passionately, preached passionately, loved the word yet I didn't see the significance of Israel. I wasn't anti-Israel, but I just saw Israel as just another country like Africa, India or China. And then through a, uh, as God often does, through a, a combination of circumstances, trials and tribulations, um, God awakened us to the blessing of Israel. I had my predecessor, Keith Buxton, who was the national director prior to me, come and speak at our church three times. Now, call me slow if you like. That's okay, because obviously I'm, I'm thicker than most. But I still didn't get it. And I realise, though, now looking back, why? Because God's put me in this position because I understand the thinking of pastors because I was there. And I realised that so much of the church is built on this mechanism, this, this conveyor belt of ministry, where ministries come along and they might ring, hey, Jeff, I'm in town you know, I, we, we, we feed a few children and we do a few things. Can I come and share at your church? 
and Jeff and Jules will pray about that and if they get a witness in their spirit, they might say, yes, come on over and, and speak and, and they'll come and speak and everyone will love it and you know, some people will cry and some will sign up for their material. We'll give them an offering and then see you later. Until next time. Are you with me? Anyone been to those churches? Yeah, we're all part of it because that's what we do. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with it. But when it comes to Israel, I just put Israel in the same basket. We gave them big offerings, loved the ministry, loved everything about what Keith said. Until next year. And then God awoken me, literally shook me to the core. We had to step down from the church and that was another, that's another story and it's a whole different thing. Went through a two-year wilderness experience where we didn't, nearly lost our house. I was depressed and all sorts of things. And then God miraculously shook me when Keith rang me two years later. Two years into this wilderness journey, I'm sitting at my computer trying to get tired enough to go to sleep, not wanting to go to sleep because I wasn't sleeping. All these things are going on and I'm a sports, I'm a bit of a sports nut, you know, two snails crawling up the wall, if one's got green and gold, I'm cheering for it and uh, I'm just sitting there and then the phone rings and Keith Buxton is on the other end of the phone and he said, Matthew, I'm not saying, I hadn't talked to Keith for three years because circumstances changed in the church and we weren't in control of it anymore and he said, I'm not saying God told me anything except to give you a ring. And next thing I'm bawling, he's bawling. But pri- just prior, 10 minutes before that phone call, I'm sitting there in this oblivion of not being tired enough to go to sleep but too awake to, you know, rah, rah. And, and the only way I can describe it is my spirit on my behalf cried out to the Lord. Because I wasn't praying, I wasn't doing anything spiritual. And yet this voice, and it was so loud, it was almost audible, cried out for, for me from within. And it was, God, I am dying here. Ten minutes later, the phone rings. And that phone call changed my life. We went to Israel. That was in May, sorry, February 2017. In May 2017, both my wife and I were in Israel. Fully paid for. God provided and made a way. Came home from that first trip to Israel and I'm sitting at my table and why, excuse me, why I share this is because I believe it's a revelation and it's a sign and it's it's something we can can all learn from because we can read scripture and we read it again and we get something out of it but this wasn't one of those moments. Now I know I had read this scripture. I know because I loved the book of Romans and I read the book of Romans, preached out of the book of Romans yet I I'm sitting at my table, I look and I open and I'm reading and I read this verse, Romans 15, 27. They were pleased to do it and indeed they owe it to them for if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. Now that's straight out of the NIV. That's not paraphrased, that's word for word out of the NIV version which I use. And this is exactly how it happened. I read that verse and it was as though Jesus was sitting next to me. It was like I turned to him and I said, did you just put that in there because that was not in there before? I'm serious. That's exactly what I said. That's how profoundly and how revolutionary a moment it was. Because I had literally never seen that verse before. Because there's no other way to read that than as Gentiles, we are to give to the Jews. Now, let me make it really plain. That means take your wallet out, take your purse out and give money to the Jews. Am I wrong? Is that what that says? That's exactly what that says. And I had never seen it. I wasn't interested in giving to the Jews. You see what I mean? And so I share that because it highlights how a a fog or a veil can be over our eyes that directs us and shapes the way we think and it shapes even the way we see God's word. As I said, I wasn't anti-Jew, anti-Israel. I just saw them as just any other nation. 
And so God has revolutionized my life by awakening me and it has literally changed our lives. The only way I can describe it is now I see the word of God, not through a Christian lens, but through a God lens. Does that make sense? And I realized before that so much of what I read was through this Christian lens, all about Christianity. And there's nothing wrong with Christianity. I'm not bagging, you know, please hear me, hear my heart. But if we get a, a veil or if we get a lens or if we get a color or we get a slant on the way we look at things, even the Bible can be veiled to us. God's word. Because I didn't see the significance. And I want to say to you, this is not about the Jews. This is not about Israel. This is purely about the heart of God. Because if we truly love God, we need to love what God loves. We need to be passionate about what God's passionate about. Amen? Amen. Because to love someone is to love what they love. To be wanting to please them. And sadly, modern Christianity has become too much about God pleasing us. Hello? Is there any believers in the house? And our priority is not to seek God so that he pleases us. Our priority is to seek God so that we please him. He's God after all, not us. Amen? And so that scripture really revolutionized my life. Can, and I want to leave that with you. Because what spiritual blessings have we received from the Jews? Just a couple, quickly. Jesus. Jesus is a Jew. He's not, please don't say Jesus was a Jew. Because, you know, when you say something was, it implies that they're now something else. Yeah? It's simple English. If I said, you know, if I said I was, I was a butcher, you'd say, well, what are you now? Yeah? Wouldn't you? If I, I was a teacher, well, what do you do now? Because that implies you've changed. And so when we, people say, and we've all said it, Jesus was a Jew. So what's the inference that he is now? If he was a Jew, what is he now? A Christian. True, I'm serious. That's the, that's the natural step of progression. If he was a Jew, he's now a Christian. I know I'm rattling your cage here, but stay with me. But he's a Jew. He's still a Jew. He's coming back as a Jew. He hasn't changed, Okay. And why I say that is not to labour a point, but it's, it's how anti-Semitism has crept in. And how replacement theology, who's heard that term before? I'd never heard it before. But what it simply means is the church has replaced Israel. And there's much of the church is littered with that ideology and religion. And it's a curse. It's not godly. And I realised that even though I wasn't anti-Israel, I'd come under that t mindset, that thinking subconsciously because I'd pushed Israel aside. I wasn't passionate about them. I, w I didn't care about them the way I should because I didn't. And so, does that make sense? Can I have that other PowerPoint, please, Jules? That would be wonderful. And I'll quickly breeze through this because my time is running out. Oh, look, the clock stopped. Amazing. I won't do it to you, Jeff, I promise. And so in, our, in my journey, I get the privilege of going around and sharing in many different churches and sharing how, how wonderful God is and the reality of what's going on in the land. And so please, the, the Bible is actually, do you realise, and this is something that I think in modern Western Christianity has crept in more as much as anything is, because it's, once the focus becomes about us, the word loses its authority. Do you realise that? When we become the centre of, of the focus, it devalues the word because it elevates us. I'll give you an example. If, if God is really God and we're to please him, everything he says we should treat as a command. Yeah? Because he's God and we're here to serve and please him. So in other words, yes, sir, amen. Is that right? 
But when we elevate, we, when we're elevated in the equation, which for one to elevate, the other must decrease. Remember John the Baptist's famous words, I must decrease that he might increase. That's the process of all interchanges and exchanges of life. For one to increase, the other must decrease. Yeah? But if we are the ones that begin to elevate as Christianity and Christians and we begin to elevate ourselves beyond where God is wanting us to be, God actually comes down. And then his word ceases to be authoritative and it becomes a suggestion. Hello, is there any believers in the house? I'll give you a very good example. How do I know this? Because I realised that this is what I was doing as a pastor. You might think, wow, what a sinful man. I read Psalm 122 and verse 6. Does anybody know what Psalm 122 verse 6 says? It says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Hello? Is that a command or a suggestion? Just a thought. You see what I mean? When we elevate ourselves, we can read scriptures like that and think, oh, I'm not called to pray for Israel. That's not my calling. I don't feel led. Have you heard all those things? Are you with me? Can, now, if you're sitting there and this is going over your head, praise the Lord, because obviously it doesn't apply to you. But there's a large swathe of the church that has fallen into this. Yeah? And we take God's word as the godly suggestion rather than a, a command. Here's, here's a wonderful place. Who, who knows who the Anzacs are? I hope we all know who the Anzacs are. <laughs> yep. Now, this is a, an Anzac memorial, as it says, in Israel. This is my, that's me, that's my lovely wife. This is a couple other, this is, he's now the CEO of uh, Bridges for Peace he was the national director in New Zealand. This guy's heading to be the national director in um, the US. And this is the head of security in, a, in our sponsored town called Netivot. Wonderful man. I won't forget, try, even begin to try and pronounce his name. He took us around on a tour. But this is the sadness of the reality on the ground in Israel. That, you would think, all the tourists would flock there. Have you been there, Jeff? No. Oh, I wouldn't have thought so. Magnificent. Look at this. Look, that's it. Huge, big. That's We're standing just there. That platform is a viewing platform. You walk up the stairs all the way up here, get up the top there, and you can see for miles all this lovely information. Tourists don't go there. You know why? Because just if you look from that tower straight across those trees, about three and a half, four miles, five miles at the most, sorry, eight kilometres, is the Gaza border. And does anybody know what colour tourist buses are in Israel? Either white or red. Some of them are blue, but most of them are white or red. Make great targets for rockets. So no, tourists don't go there. It's unsafe. Isn't that sad? That's very sad. Not just because we're Aussies. and But look, they've gone to all that trouble of making this incredible monument. I mean, that's no little thing. But no one gets to see it. The only reason we got to see it was because the head of security took us there and we were in cars and there's often soldiers stationed there because you can see right down into Gaza and keep an eye on things. Now, this is not to bag Gaza and, and the so-called Palestinians. This is about truth. And we are being robbed of an incredible memorial to our soldiers because it's too dangerous to go there because the... Neighbours want to fire rockets over the fence and kill people. And they don't care who they kill, whether it's civilians, tourists. That's sad. But it's a fact of life in Israel. Oh, oh, get back. <laughs> Sorry, I spoilt my own party. How big is Israel? Israel's always in the news. Okay, it's huge, right? It's huge because it's always in the news. It's the big bad Israel against the poor, you know, oppressed Palestinians and the Arabs. And it's, it's just amazing. And they're, cha they're doing all these things. Come on, come on. How big is Israel? Does anybody know? Who, who knows? 
How, how many times do you think Israel would fit into Australia? Quickly. A thousand. I'm going to give you a prize just because you're the first person that's ever gone, ever gone above. There you go. God bless you. It's it's not a thousand, all right. Normally, I get no, normally people start out with twenty, fifty. Come on, anyone else like it's somewhere between fifty and a thousand. A hundred. That's that's a pretty good guess. Uh, no. But thanks for asking. But good on you for asking. Three hundred and sixty-five times, sixty-four times. Three hundred and sixty-four times Israel fits into Australia. It's a tiny speck of dirt. I often joke and say we've got farms bigger than that in Australia, and we probably have. Three hundred sixty-nine times. Sorry, not sixty-four. Three hundred sixty-nine times. So there it is. There. It's almost the size of, I don't think it's, so it looks like the ACT a bit, if you moved it up into here. That's it, tiny little country, tiny slither of land. Now in all honesty, I'm going to breeze through this, normally I spend a bit more time, but there's Israel, that yellow bit, in relation to all of the Arab Muslim nations. Now, in all honesty, if you were a farmer, and I know I'm talking to some farmers here, would you be fighting over that little bit if you owned all this? Really? Like, come on. That'd want to be the most fertile block on the, on, the, on the plane, wouldn't it? Like, even if it was the size of Egypt and you owned all the rest, you'd be thinking, oh, just let them have it. Now, have that puts it in context, doesn't it? This is ridiculous. This whole thing is not about land. It's not about, you know, history. It's not about anything. This is a war about God. Because I want to tell you something. I've got to, you, you've got to know this. Why I want to arm you with some facts because this is a hot topic right now and it will be for the rest of history. It's very simple. This is a war about God. Because you cannot say Israel without declaring there's a God. Just the mention of the nation Israel or Jew tells, declares, announces, proclaims there is a God. Why? Because Israel is the only nation on the planet that was created by a people, not the people, not the nation created the people. Why are we called Australians? Why is Australia called Australia? Not because a whole heap of Australians decided, oh, there's, a, there's a, a paddock over there, let's go and move in over there and we'll call it Australia because Australians have moved there. That's not how it happened, is it? No nation on the planet was created by the people. The people were created by the nation. The English came, come from England, but England wasn't called England because all the English moved there. Are you with me? America wasn't called America because all the Americans moved there. Hello, you getting the picture? You're with me? But Israel is called Israel because the Israelis, the Israelites moved there. Because what was it before the, the Israelites moved there? Canaan. It was called Canaan. But God changed Jacob's name to Israel. His 11 sons and two grandsons became the 12 tribes of Israel. They were called Israel long before they ever had a country. Then God takes them to this land, plants them there as an eternal, everlasting covenant. This will be your land. 3,000 odd years ago. And they've been there ever since. They, is, can anybody tell me that the oldest continuously used cemetery in the world? It's not a topic you sort of research a lot. The Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives has 3,000 years of continually used history. 3,000. There, there are other cemeteries that are older, but they don't have continual use. But it has documented 3,000 years of continual use. Hello, by who? Not Palestinians. Does anybody know when the term Palestinian was, was created? 
Come on, these are facts because people come at you, will come at you with all sorts of stuff. But no, that's a good good suggestion. But the the term it's not then. The the term Palestinian was created in 1964. Palestine has been in the was in the translation of the Bible for many years. But when, but Australian refers to what? Someone who lives in Australia. So Palestinian is in reference to someone living in Palestine as a people, in other words. Not the nation, but the people from that nation. Well, the, only, the first time that term was used was in 1964. You know who the original Palestinian is? Yasser Arafat. Okay, because that's the PLO. Hello? It was in, created in 1964. Yasser Arafat's actually Egyptian. But anyway, so these are just a few facts. God put Israel there. Does anybody know why God put Israel there? Because it's the land bridge between Asia and Africa. And every trade caravan that passed, because they didn't have, sh- the ships weren't used a great deal, but they mainly used caravans of camels and and they used to pass through here. So what, what did God create his, his people for? Why did God create Israel? What was the statement? Jeff actually mentioned it this morning. That, that, people, that the people would see God. They would see. They would come in amongst his people and they would see that this God, this one God. Because remember back in those days polytheism was rife. There was not another nation on the, on the earth known at the time that had one God. They all had multiple gods. God for this, God for that, God for something else. And if that wasn't enough, get two gods. And, here, and here's God saying to his people, I'm going to be one God in your midst and I'm going to be one God who will supply all your needs. Everything you need from one God. But they didn't have the internet they didn't have Channel 9, Channel 10, ABC and SBS and all those things. So he plants them there so that every trading caravan would pass through and they would see, wow, these guys have only got one God and look how they thrive and look how they flourish. Amazing. There's a better view. This is Gaza. Now, right now, our, our federal labour Parliament just met last this last week, it's gone, to discuss. One of the topics of discussion was their stance on Israel. Praise God they didn't change their stance. Their stance stinks, but it was it, but they were gonna make it a lot worse. They were they were they were contemplating acknowledging Palestine as a country. Okay, which is very bad for us as a nation. It's it's terrible because Nations are judged based on how they treat Israel. Read Matthew 24, 25. Okay? And so we've got a lot of great history with Israel. We've got a little bit of bad, but most of it's good. So one of the things that they brought up is that Gaza is occupied territory. That the Jews are illegally settling in Gaza. In 1974, was it 74, Jeff? Anyway, a long time ago, no, it wasn't 74, it was 90, 94, 95, somewhere around there, the Jews, the Israeli government forcefully removed their own people from Gaza and gave it to the Palestinians. And, and, and so this is... Why do I say that? Because this is how lies are being propagated. They're bringing up things that don't even exist and conveying them as the truth. Okay? Like that's just a simple fact that you sh- that's obvious. That they And they're still saying, calling it, you know, calling it right when it's left. But please, this is the other thing I want to leave you. This is by the world recognition known as the West Bank because this is the Jordan River. Runs here, runs or well, runs from there down, there down, um, and they call this the West Bank because it's on the western side. Do you know why they call it the West Bank? Because they can't call it Judea. 
You know why they can't call it Judea? Because every time you say the word Judea, you're declaring that that's where the Jews come from because that's where the term Jew comes from. It comes from Judea. Now, all this is simple stuff, but it's so simple that everybody's missing it. This is how the world is trying... When I say the world, the spirit of the world, the God of this world, the devil and his, and his operatives who are operating through the spirit of the world are changing the narrative to be against Israel. Are you, are you with me? Because like, they're changing this and they're saying it's occupied Palestinian territory. It's disputed. And so they call it the West Bank because they have to change the name. You know who invented the change of the name? It's, it was the first time psychological warfare was ever used. And it was the Romans back in the early part of the first century. Changed the name, and this is where the term Palestinian came from, changed the name of Israel to Philist- Philistia. Philistia, named it after the Philistines, who were the arch enemies of Israel, why did they do that? Because they, it, you, to, you have to understand the Jewish people. The land and the people are one. The Aboriginal people understand this. The native people of all lands understand this. But the Jewish connection to the land is even stronger. But it's the closest thing we have to reference it. We don't have the connection to the land that other people do and especially the Jews, they are one because God gave it to them and God wrote his name in the land. Are you with me? And so the Romans were trying to drive out the Jews and they wouldn't leave. They were fighting and they were putting up a lot more resistance. So Hadrian came up with the name, with the idea to, I think it was Hadrian, come up with the idea, well, if I change the name of their, their, their country and the name of their capital, he changed the name of Jerusalem to uh, Syria Capitolina. They'll leave. And he was right. It was the first real use of psychological warfare. Physical warfare, normal warfare wasn't working. So he thought, well, psychologically, if I change the name of their land, they'll leave. And they did. Most of the Jews left. Not all of them, but many left. And so it worked to some degree. Well, guess what? There's nothing new under the sun. And so now this is what our world's doing, changing the name to get rid of the truth. Hello? Because you can't say Judea without declaring that the Jews come there. Well, that's a dumb, we can't can't leave that. You know what I mean? Everyone everyone will know the secrets out then. Everyone will be, oh, where did the Jews come from? Don't they come from Judea? No, that doesn't exist anymore. We've changed the name. We've got short memories. We must be related to goldfish. Are you with me today? So that's how long. Israel is only 465 kilometres long and 165 kilometres wide. Now here is the last point I'll make on this. They want to give this, when I say they, the UN and the anti-Israel agenda, they want an anti-God agenda, they want to give this part to the Palestinians. Along with this, half of, half of Jerusalem and this. You know how wide from there to there is? 15 kilometres, see? And all the... If you're in a battle, if you're an army commander and you wanted to... If you were given the choice of where to station, where do you go, the high ground or the low ground? Always take the high ground. Well, guess what? The hill country of Israel runs right through here, the high ground. It would make Israel literally defenceless in the event of hostilities. Well, do you think the, the, the Arab world has demonstrated any indication that they might be hostile towards Israel over the years? Just, just a few months ago, they launched over a thousand rockets earlier this year. What was it, April, May? A thousand rockets in the space of three weeks over the border at Israel. Praise the Lord for Israel's technology and the hand of God because most of those, 95% of those rockets did nothing. But a few got through and people were killed. While my wife and I were in Israel, just please pray. As, as you said, as I showed in Psalm 122 verse 6, we're actually commanded to pray for the peace of Jerusalem by the Lord. Each of us, not just special people like those who get paid to do it. 
while we were in Israel just in May, June, there were seven people killed in two weeks by r these random acts of terror that are now ravaging Israel on a daily, weekly basis. And it's a new wave of terror. It's shooting. They had shooting for many years ago, but that was snipers from hills lobbing, and they've largely combated that. Then they have waves of stabbings and waves of bombings, but now they're they've somehow getting guns in. And Israel's got the best security in the world. But they're getting guns and they're just randomly starting to shoot at people, driving up beside cars and just shooting women, children. There were amazing testimony, and I've got to share this because it'll touch your heart and it'll show the attitude of Israel. There was a mother and two daughters that were attacked just like that a few, about two months ago. The two daughters were killed on the spot. The mother died in hospital later. And um, they left a, a husband and, other, and I think two other siblings. After the mother, because she died on the table and her heart was still all right, she'd, offered, she'd consented to her organs being used in transplant. And so they had an article of the father, the husband, with the two surviving siblings talking with the lady who received their mum's heart. That's the attitude of Israel. We were standing on, a, on, a, on the edge of a, a steep drop-off on the edge of a little town when we were there, I think the second time, and just across the valley was a, an Arab village and they was constantly sending people over there to raid and to kill and different things that would come regularly. When I say regularly, maybe once a month, once every three months. It's not every day, but it happens regularly. Are you with me? Once a lifetime is too regular for that. And the mayor who was with us, the unofficial mayor, he said, they come with violence, they come to kill... We build. We build. Not we fight. Their way of fighting, their way of saying, hey, we're here to stay is we build. But it's a, it, what hit me was it's the opposite spirit. It's not, oh, you know, let's take up arms and go and kill them all, which they'd be justified, to be honest. But that's not their attitude. It's we build because this is our land and no matter what you do, we are not moving. We're not leaving. And we can learn a lot of that from that as Christians, amen? That that's our attitude, the opposite spirit. Jesus said, come out, you know, if they slap you on the right cheek, give them the left. So that's the eternal covenant. That's the covenant of blessing. We're blessed, you're blessed to be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. And that's a whole other story. But do some research into that. I've put the two words for curse there in different colours for one reason. They're two different words in English, uh, two different words in Hebrew. And there's great... Great blessing in understanding that. So, yeah, so they're the two words. And it means a totally different thing. And that's why I honestly believe this is why the church is largely in the mess that it's in. When I say the church, those that are oblivious to Israel. Because we're actually under a curse if we treat Israel lightly. That sounds harsh, but it's not my words, it's God's words. Genesis 12, verse 3. So in the little pack you got, please just, there's a little card in there. If you want us to receive our material and you'd like to know more about Israel, you'd like to start up to date with what's going on, please just fill that card in and either give it to me today or my wife or post it in. Every two months we do a mail out, we send out material. Uh, every second month you'll get a nice glossy full-colour magazine like that plus the teaching letters and other sorts of information. Um, we have resources up the back which I'll talk, make available. Please just, they're there just to be a blessing. It's not about raising money, it's just to, to be a blessing and help, help in any way we can. Uh, if you have any questions, I'm not sure I'll have the answers but I'll do my best. <laughs> the one thing I do know is God has changed my life through this. Not, not so that I could have a job, not so that I could, you know, travel around the country or all that, but because it's the heart of God. It's connecting with the heart of God. And I can honestly say my relationship with the Lord has changed significantly since my eyes have been opened to the truth about Israel. The word of God has changed radically to me. And I never thought I would say that. And so I want to share just quickly, because I've got about 15 minutes, I want to share something that God, and I believe it ties in with this whole message of Israel. As I was preparing this week, I looked, I was reading in Mark chapter 4. And Mark chapter 4 is very, very, very 
familiar passage of scripture, I'm sure. Four, chapter 4, verse 35 to 41. And it's, it's the account of when Jesus goes across the Galilee. And the, who's been to the Galilee? A couple of people, I'm sure. When you get on there, it is the most amazing place. For me, it's the, it's the epitome of walking in Jesus' footsteps. Because it's the only place that hasn't changed. Everywhere else is totally different from when Jesus was there. But the water on the level of Galilee is still the same water that was, you know what I mean? The surround has changed. But when you're out there and you get on the boat, you, have you done the, out on the boat? and you, you, you pro- Didn't you? What? You missed a great event. You made great time, Jeff. I thought, what were you doing? Backsliding. <laughs> no, I didn't walk on the water either. But you sing that, and they turn the, the worship music on and you're out there together and you're praising and worshiping the Lord on the Galilee. And it's just the most amazing opportunity. But anyway, they get out in the boat, and I'm sure you're familiar. And it's, it, it starts, though, by Jesus saying, let's go to the other side. Are you familiar? Are you with me? He says, go to the other side. And so they get in the boat, and they head off across. But it says, not too long into the journey, a fierce storm whips up, and they are terrified. But what's Jesus doing? This is the bit that always fascinates me about this story. The guy that's given the order. Now, if you backtrack and you look at what Jesus has been doing just prior to getting in this boat, he's been healing, casting out demons, miracles. But that wasn't that uncommon. Well, it wasn't common, but there were other people doing a small amount of that at the time too, which is not mentioned in the Bible, but that was. Other teachers and leaders were seeing miraculous things from time to time. But Jesus comes along and takes it to a whole new level, right? He ramps it up, puts it on steroids, and healing and miracles become almost the norm wherever he goes. Well, literally they do. He gets in this boat. What's he doing? He wasn't rowing. He's having a snooze. And he's a smart man. How do I know he's a smart man? Because if you've ever been in a boat... The, the smoothest place on a boat is down the back. Get down where the engine is. Because it'll be the smoothest part. Like the, the nose does this, but the back sort of tends to not move anywhere near as much. And so he's down the back on the pillow having a snooze. The waves are crashing over the boat and the disciples do what? Panic. Exactly right. They panic. Why? What, what causes panic? Fear. What's our world trying to do right now? It's always been the case, but like never before, fear is on steroids. Yeah? Everything is propagating fear. COVID was nothing nothing less than nothing about anything else but fear. Trying to put fear in the hearts of people that we're all going to die. We're all going to do this, this, and you know what I mean? Or is that only me? Yeah? Everything you turned was about fear. But what's the economy of heaven? Faith is not about fear. And, fear, and faith is not the absence of fear, but it's the, the resolution that God is bigger and that through God we can overcome, amen? It's like courage. Courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is just the resolve to overcome it and, and act in a way as though it doesn't exist. doesn't mean it doesn't exist, but we're acting as though it doesn't. Are you with me? And Jesus is asleep in the boat. And they panic because fear grabs hold of them and they run to, rush to Jesus. Didn't have to go far because he was just only a few metres away. And they wake him up and say, don't you? And what do they accuse him of? Not caring. Hello? Why is this important? He shakes the, he sh- and they wake him up and Jesus gets up and he says what? Be quiet. Now there's no insignificant detail in the Bible you realise. He says, be quiet. Why does he say be quiet? Because if you and I are going to survive this journey, we better learn to shut out all the other voices. Hello? Shut out all the other noise. Because there will always be noise. He said, she said, they said, someone else said, you said. And before long you start talking to yourself. Hello? Or am I the only one that does that too? Thank you. Which is good. We need to talk to ourselves, but we better talk good stuff. Amen? Amen. We better be telling ourselves the stuff that God's telling us. 
not the stuff we're hearing from Aunt Mary's uncle's sister's cousin or, or the ABC, for crying out loud. Are you with me? But they go to the source and, and so the only, credibility, the only credible thing they did was they knew where to go. Hello? At least they went to Jesus. <laughs> you know, they went to him. But what happens? Fear gets in and it robs us of direction. Fear robs us of direction because what did he say? When they got in the boat, he said, let's go to the other side. But they've forgotten about that. The other side seems non-existent anymore and we when fear kicks in what's our first what's our default setting survival we've got to survive this we forget the mission and it all becomes fear wants to focus us in on the now the immediate here and present there's nothing wrong with that but if it causes us to lose sight of where we're meant to be going we will stall and like any plane that stalls the consequence is dramatic. If we stall in our mission, we tend to go around in circles. Yeah? Because what do we do? We, and the circle is a good motion because it's what we're looking for an exit. Yeah? Ever been in a room and you can't find the way out? What do you do? You've got to go around in circles, right? And that's what happens to us when we lose sight of the directive that God has given us. And fear is the, is the weapon that is used to cause that to happen. But what are some of the... What's, one of the other keys I want, to, I want you to see in this passage is Jesus, it said they left the crowd behind. If we are ever going to fulfil what God calls us, there's a time, will always be a time where we need to leave the crowd. Hello? And who's the crowd? The crowd might be just two or three people. The crowd might be your best friend. Hello? And that's hard. It might be the town you were brought up in. It might be the job you've worked at all your life. That can be, they're, they're all the crowd. If that's holding you back from fulfilling what God has called you to do, we've got to leave the crowd. Hello? Because the crowd will always tell you, feed you opposite information to what God has called you to. They always will. Who's the crowd? Who was the crowd through COVID? The media. Amen. The media was bombarding us with all this stuff. And I use it as an example, not for any other thing than it's very recent. We all were impacted by it and it's current. Now, it's not about whether you were vaxxed or unvaxxed. It's not about anything about that. I'm just saying it's about the tactics of the enemy. And now the, the sad, one of the great the sadnesses of all this, the media now is unashamedly anti-God. Unashamedly. They used to at least sort of hide the fact. Yeah? But now they don't care. It's out in the open. They are just anti-God. And this is, make, make no mistake, this whole thing, and we're, in, we're heading for another season, I believe with all my heart, that we're heading next year, early next year, in the first half of next year, we're heading for another COVID-like event. I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. And I don't believe it'll be a sickness thing this time. I believe it's probably financial this time. It'll be market-orientated, probably. Don't quote me on that, but you can take it to the bank that within the next 12 months we are headed for another world global shifting event so it's important that's why i feel this verse is so paramount and this this story in the bible because what's the key what is the key ingredient if you could take one thing away from mark chapter 4 and this and this account hold on to the word of god we must hear clearly and then hold on Hearing is the first stage in our, in our journey, but it is not the end. We have to hear clearly, but then we have to hold on through the storm. Amen? Hold on through the storm. Because the devil will always come and say, did God really say? 
What was, isn't that what he said to Eve in the garden? Did God really say? And if you and I are not able to turn around and look him straight in the face and say, yes, God did. God said this, just like Jesus in the wilderness. What did Jesus say in the wilderness? He didn't say, oh, I'm not sure what you got. Oh, blah, 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 blah. He said, it is written. It is written. It is written three times. And trust me, sometimes it takes three times. It usually does. So you better steal yourself for the fight, amen? We better steal ourselves for the fight. Because we are in a battle. A battle for not only our souls, but the souls of the men, women and children that we know. For the heart of humanity. And what's going on in Israel is a direct reflection of what's going on in the world. Israel has the most amazing government they could have ever had in their history. But the world is trying to bring them down through internal conflict. This judicial reform, have you anybody heard about the judicial reform that's trying to pass in Israel? It's causing incredible internal turmoil and fighting, mass protests in the street. The media is covering the negative side, saying, oh, there's hundreds of thousands protesting against the governmental reform. But they're not showing that there's bigger crowds protesting that they need the, the reform. The judicial reform that is being proposed by the government is needed and it is the best thing for the country. But the media and the UN and the world, America is funding protests. The UN, the EU are funding protests against the government because they want to destabilise it. Because where do kingdoms fall from? From within. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Does that sound familiar? Biblical principles. See, the, the, the enemy knows the Bible. And so he knows that if he can get the, the country fighting amongst itself, it's on, it's, it's on the slippery slope to de- destruction. And you know the funny thing is, the enemies of the, Israel's enemies know that too because they all want to attack. Right now, Lebanon is poised. They're making chemical weapons. Lebanon is posed, Hezbollah is based, is the terror organisation on the northern border. They're poised to attack, but they're holding off their attacks, not just them, but all the other terrorist organisations, they're holding off because they know that the one thing that unites Israel is when they come under attack. And at the moment, they're holding off because Israel is sort of self-imploding. And they know that if they attack, they'll drop all that and come together. Can you see the strategies of the enemy? Now we need to look at that and see and apply that to our own lives because the devil works the same way with us. Yeah? Marriage. Try and get in and divide the husband and wife. If, if you've got children, use the children to try and get in and divide mum and dad. Yeah? Come on. I'm not saying, you know, we're all that the devil's right but these are the tactics of the enemy to bring disunity and disharmony confusion and if you're in those positions right now I want to pray for you because we need to keep the family unit strong look at what the world is doing look at the laws they're trying to pass to bring the destruction of the family unit parents have got no authority in them anymore they can't tell their children what to do hello And we wonder why society is breaking down. But it's all a war against God. And what God's word says. Every single battle that is being raged right now is a war against the truth that God is God. The Bible is his word and it is truth and it is eternal. That's how simple it is. And we need to use Israel as a reference point because it reflects that. So let's hold on to the word. And I, I really feel to, to pray for people this morning. I'd love to pray as I, as I finish because I've run out of time. I really feel that, that, and we're all, we all go through these seasons. If you're not, pray for the rest of us. Pray that we're able to hold on and hear the word of the Lord clearly for our lives. Amen. 
I just sense there's people here and, and you're in a, in a place where you're saying, God, I want to hear from your voice. What is it? There's people in, in that valley of decision. Thanks, Jules. Um, and, and I want to pray with you. I want to pray and, and, and believe that you will hear God's direction. If you're seeking God, I want to pray for you. Those couple of people that I mentioned earlier about, you know, what's stopping you? And uh, why not you? You know, why not now? So let's just bow our heads and, and, and pray, please. Father, I just thank you for this morning. Thank you for the privilege of sharing your word. Father, above all else, we thank you for your amazing love for us, for your goodness, for your faithfulness, for your reliability and dependability, because that's what faithfulness is. You remain faithful. Even when we are faithless, you remain faithful, Father. And so, Father, right now, come to you and say, Lord, we want to hear your voice. If you, if you want prayer and that's you, please, I'd love you to just come out the front of my wife and I'd love to pray with you and just stand in agreement. If you want to hear, you, you, you're in a season where you, you're not sure what the next move is. You're not sure what, what God wants for you or has for you or maybe you're struggling to hear his voice because of all the noise of the crowd or the noise of your own circumstances because that's the crowd. I'd love to pray for it with you. I'd love to just join in agreement with you and, and believe that you would able, be able to hear God clearly. I just sent someone saying, I, I want to hear you like I used to.